Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court and CPS issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have a very special guest, Rod McCall. He is an author. He shares his personal experience with parental alienation, which was so severe it led to the death of his son, Eric killed by the hands of his own mother when she lost her parental rights as the courts finally saw through her alienating behavior. Part one of the book, which is called For the Love of Eric, um, is Rod's captivating and important story showing how parental alienation can happen. Part two of the book tells the stories of many others, specifically addressing what parental alienation is and how it can be stopped. Though interviewing many other parents as well as professionals in family law, Rod's book is a powerful resource which can raise awareness, educate, and be a catalyst for change. And we're going to discuss a lot of things with Rod. We're going to discuss the negative impact divorce can have on kids. We're going to talk about the ACEs scores, and a lot of people don't know what that is, but we'll we'll get there and explain that. And... Um, greater awareness to the mental health damage being brought on by uh, attachment-based parental alienation up to and including suicide. And Rod has also testified before Texas legislature about parental alienation, and you can find that on YouTube. And he's spoken to state legislatures about this, and he has obtained 20,000 signatures Um having uh, attachment-based uh, parental alienation to look at this. And I hope I'm saying that right. And um, <laughs> and he's been interviewed on podcasts, TV shows, as well as Christy Beck, who has a Facebook page called Mommy Interrupted. And I'm going to welcome Rod McCall to the show. And I'm so glad to have you on because we need to learn from you and um, get as much information from you as we can. So good evening. Well, thanks, and good evening. I appreciate you uh, considering to have me on. I'm glad to have you on. <laughs> and uh, you've, you've written this book, and um, has. I know you've talked about the book, and, you know, when you're interviewed... How do you describe and go into this parental alienation happening with your child? Well, it, it actually, I had no idea what parental alienation was. I had no idea about divorce. Um, my best friend growing up, he was, <clears throat> his mom and dad were divorced, but he was the only person I really knew. And his mom and dad actually kind of got along a little bit. Um, and you know, yeah, they were divorced, they live in different places, but they, it just seemed like they were a married couple just living in different homes. Um, but I, so my experience with divorce really didn't begin until my own, or I guess my experience with divorce, obviously that makes sense. My point is, I guess I had no idea what divorce was until I started to really go through it myself. And I had no idea what parental alienation was until actually after Eric died. And that's when I really began to understand there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, parental alienation goes on in a normal, healthy marriage. 
um, in the book, uh, Divorce Poison, uh, Dr. Warshak says that, you know, a lot of times kids will try and pit parents against each other. That's just normal. Um, but what I went through was very unnatural. Uh, the idea that a child would willingly hate another parent just goes against uh, stuff that Mnuchin and Bowlby um, say about the idea of attachment. Their attachment theories all say that it is unnatural for a child to just randomly and suddenly stop loving another parent. And this happens like you said, in an intact marriage, and then as well as after divorce, sometimes you can be co-parenting well, and, and then a third party enters the picture, and somehow they start these, uh, I don't know, influencing the child, and that happens in a lot of uh, situations as well. And like, I didn't know what it was until, you know, back years ago, <laughs> years and years ago. But um, it just kind of floored me <laughs> when it totally sunk in as to what it was years and years ago that this happened and how unfair it is to the child to hate you, be taught to hate you and your their grandparents it it just cuts off the other side of the family as well you're you're absolutely right and there is so much science that goes into proving that a healthy relationship with both parents and extended family gives a child the best opportunity to be a successful healthy physically and mentally adult, which we need more of, not fewer of. I mean, and there's studies that uh, I was reading an article earlier today um, talking about, let's see if I can find it real quick. Anyway, but they were talking about um, a study that was done in the 1980s and 90s with uh, Romanian children that were caught up in the uh, civil war and while they were their physical needs were were taken care of of a safe place to to live they were fed and they were clothed what they weren't was loved they weren't held and you know they weren't told we love you and they weren't hugged and they weren't doted on like a like a loving parent would do to a child and as a consequence these children grew up and had a very difficult time as adults holding down jobs, uh, having stable relationships, all of that stuff. I remember that study. Uh, they had that on TV, in fact. I remember watching that. Um, in fact, I've noticed that these ch kids that have grown up and they're young adults, they can't even make decisions on their own. Um, either they're still being controlled, financially controlled by the other parent. Other things play into that. But, you know, I don't know what to say as far as, you know, this financial control. It's almost like the Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it's kids want to love both mom and dad. 
to, I, I share, I, I did not invent this. I took this from Dr. Craig Childress out in California. But he says, a divorce is to end the marriage. It is not to end the family. And I, I got remarried here a few years ago after swearing I would never, ever get remarried. And my wife and her ex-husband, they work to get along because they put the kids' needs ahead of their own, mm -hmm. put their anger and frustration with each other on the side burner and said, you know what, my kids are way more important than my unhappiness, my anger, my hatred for the ex. Right. And the kids are doing really well. I mean, they're, they've grown up, they're in their, you know, 22 and 25, and they're doing really well. And that shows it can be done. I did a podcast with Riley called Divorce Done Right. <laughs> and she talked about her parents' divorce and how they still get along, even though both of them have remarried. It can be done, but it can be done with maybe two mentally fit parents. But it's very difficult to do and to have like shared parenting if you've got a parent that is uh, personality disorder, whether it be borderline, bipolar, but the worst I also think is narcissist. And, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say you're absolutely right. And in uh, her book, Parents Acting Badly, uh, Dr. Jennifer Harmon identifies three mental health issues that greatly contribute to, uh, to the action to the actions of severe parental alienation. Uh, one is borderline personality disorder. Uh, that's what uh, my son's mother had, uh, was borderline personality disorder. The other is, yes, narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, all of us are a little bit narcissistic at some point, and I, I've been part of a divorce recovery group, uh, first as a member and now as a facilitator, uh, for oh, 10 years or more now, and we're all a little bit narcissistic when we're going through our divorce. But the difference I see is that we recognize, or most of the time, can recognize that, you know what, we are being really selfish and can get past it. But if you are a severe narcissist, you don't even recognize that you have a problem let alone you are the problem. Mm -hmm. the, the third one, and this is one that was new for me, uh, that Dr. Harmon uh, had in her book, was an antisocial or psychopathic personality disorder. And that one there was, again, a little bit new for me. But, you know, when you're not able to when, when you're not able to focus on someone other than yourself, and all three of these personality disorders, uh, the people that suffer with those, one, they rarely know that they have a problem, and B, rarely recognize that they are the problem. They see it as everybody else. They have all kinds of persecution complexes, and it well, woe is me. And since uh, so many people unless you've gone through this yourself, do not understand about parental alienation or hostile aggressive parenting or whatever 
name you want to call it, um, anti-co-parenting. Uh, again, there's a multitude of names, but once you are able to, or at least for me, I can pick it out super easy because I know what it sounds like when, you know, you, you can hear, you know, the kids, the words that come out of the mouths of a child, that come out of the mouths of adults. It, for me, I've, again, I've been doing this now for some time, better part of, well, at least six years, um, ever since I put together the book, but it's, you, you hear it again and again and again, and I guess my goal is to try and help people know what I know, and that's, you know, that's why I love that you're doing your podcast, because you're doing the same thing, that the number of us who have been victimized by, well, by family courts, by the mental health profession, by just the general public not being aware. I mean, the, the number of folks that when you start talking about it and they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. It's kind of like, and that's what we're doing. I mean, I am, I am a professional educator. I have been in the teaching field for almost 20 years and you've got to teach people what to look for, what to listen for. And that's the way we're going to defeat this. Right. Const you know, and I would say even constantly talking about it and getting people to listen to, you know, radio shows that are talking about, you know, the family court system, the corruption, you know, that even feeds into the parental alienation. Um, and, you know, you could, you could branch off into so many things like, you know, we've got to hold these judges accountable. We've got to hold these lawyers accountable. Um, it's a, like an endless list. And I know some people want to change the name of parental alienation, but it's like these judges already know it exists. So if we change the name of parental alienation, that means we have to re-educate them all over again. <laughs> and that would be a mammoth task. Well, and they're part of their parental alienation, parental alienation syndrome. Uh, you know, it has a bad rap. And I talked to a judge uh, in the county that, well, he's now since retired, but we had a visit or a conversation a few years ago and he said, Rod, parental alienation is actually very rare. He says, what you went through is very, very uncommon. He said, mostly it is a divorce dodge so that one parent can get out of paying child support. And not wanting to argue with the judge, I said, well, I'm going to just respectfully disagree. And it is... It is way more common than I think people want to admit. And are there people who use it as a divorce dodge? Absolutely. But they are an exception. And you're right. Teaching, educating what parental alienation is and how to identify it 
is instrumental in getting it changed. And I feel very lucky that where I live in a North Dallas, Texas suburb, the county judges are aware of what parental alienation is. And I've actually had two different judges reach out to me personally and say, I want to know more. Can you help teach me? And I have been so impressed with that as a concept. I mean, and, and some of the old judges that, you know, saw it as divorce dodge, well, they're retiring and they're being replaced with others who are, I don't want to say more enlightened, but less entrenched in an old mentality. Um, I mean, again, our definition of family has evolved and changed. And so, therefore, we need to be more aware of how, how this affects the change of families. Right. And we had talked about speaking, well, of the change of these families when this parental alienation is happening and your child instantly hates you. It might, it might be happening over the weekend. It could take months to evolve. And sometimes it can happen even overnight. I, this is like such a dilemma. And uh, even my own kids have said, well, you know, Ma, Ma, I've, I've taken the ACEs test. And I said, you did? I, <laughs> I don't know who gave it to you because I'm always the last to know. So, um, and they have scored high. So I was going to ask you, what do you think of the ACEs? Um, adverse childhood experiences is what really it, it is about and what you think of it. I was, it was probably about four years ago. I was first introduced to the concept of adverse childhood experiences. And so I started looking into it. And of course, it was a study conducted by, I forget which university in conjunction with the CDC, uh, just over 20 years ago. And they researched, it was a longitudinal study where they spent a number of years looking uh, at the effects of various things. There are 10 criteria or 10 actions uh, or activities that can be that have been identified as an ace they include emotional abuse physical abuse sexual abuse emotional neglect physical neglect interestingly the mother being treated violently by the father household a household members abusing uh, drugs or alcohol, a family member with a mental health illness, parental separation or divorce, and a family member incarcerated in jail. Now, when we talk about abuse, physical abuse, people are aware of, it's easier to see. We can talk about sexual abuse, that's also easier to see. Physical neglect, that's, again, like the other two, it leaves some kind of scars um, that you can see. What is not as easily seen is emotional abuse. 
uh, emotional neglect. And I, as I started looking at these, Eric had four of them. He was, he was not physically abused, I don't believe. He was not sexually abused, despite his mother's claims. But he was emotionally abused. His mother would go into hysteric fits if he were to come home after a weekend visit with me talking about something fun that we had done, sometimes lasting as much as 30 minutes of hysterical yelling, screaming, crying, where he was the only one that could console her. That's emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. Emotional neglect, she would leave him with babysitters for days where she wouldn't really engage with him. And trying to be able to prove this, yeah, good luck. It's a he said, she said, and in the court of law, that is not going to fly. You've got to have something concrete. His mother was identified, um, well, again, as borderline personality disorder. And because we had to have a psychological evaluation and the uh, doctor that performed this, he said, well, this is where he really dropped the ball. And he actually apologized to me um, about a year and a half later. But um, he said that she had all the earmarks of borderline personality disorder, but because he wasn't specifically tasked to identify her with a mental illness, he wasn't going to officially diagnose her. And I'm going, at the time, I didn't realize how that would be a negative effect for me. The other is parental separation or divorce. And so Eric had those four. And according to um, a studies, once you have achieved four or more, you are in the highest category. Highest category for increased risk of depression, suicide, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual activity, especially preteen sexual activity. You also, there are, kids are also more likely to engage in adverse risk behavior, um, drinking and driving, uh, just all the crazy stuff, you know, not really caring about the, the possible consequences. Uh, I mean, these are the things that destroy a kid <laughs> that makes it hard for them to be able to go and have a healthy, productive life, being able to have healthy, productive relationships with other people, having friends, having intimate relationships, being able to be the person that they could be. Mm -hmm. And that's been taken from them by an adult with issues. Um, mental health issues. And you know, I don't want to like, um, some people have anxiety and depression, which I think is the common cold of America. I was always told that as a psychiatric nurse. Oh, depression is the common cold of America. You know, So I, it's like when, when uh, I was in family court, I, that was considered I was crazy. So 
you know, it's like I was losing anyway. That was the silver bullet that they shot out was, well, she's mentally ill. And it just came out of nowhere. Even though I had taken a psychological eval that came out totally perfect. The, and, and the judge didn't care. <laughs> he mm -hmm. still was calling me emotionally abusive. It, and there was no getting out of that. And even with, with my story, like even with, with parents that have been indicated with any type of abuse, you know, I fought it and I had a hearing with a CPS judge and I was exonerated. But the family court judge could care less. He still called me emotionally abusive. So uh, you could totally lose in family court because it's just so corrupt based on the fact of what judge knows what lawyer. It's, there is, family law is the wild west of the legal profession. And, you know, family, family, how should we say this? The legal system isn't built for family law. And if it wasn't for the fact that you had to have a marriage license to get married, you wouldn't need to have a, you know, a legal uh, process to get divorced. Because, again, when you get married, well, that is a combining of financial assets, a joining of a, of a financial or a business partnership. And that's a legal issue. So when you get divorced, you are breaking then that financial contract. And frankly and embarrassingly, children are seen as financial assets. And they are not seen as the people, the human beings that they really are. And so moms and dads fight over the children because they have financial value. and they you know again and and you're you're right uh that that your judges and your lawyers they they have a very cozy relationship because every time a judge wants to run for re-election who does he hit up his lawyer buddies and so the lawyers feeling like well they're going to get hosed if they go before the judge if they don't contribute to his re-election campaign so they contribute and so you've got a, a kind of a well, a, a situation that could potentially create a conflict of interest. And because the judges have so much latitude and discretion, even in the same county, judge to judge, you're going to get different rulings. And without consistency, then maybe you get lucky or maybe you get snookered because, well, you got the wrong judge. And, you know, sometimes, I don't know, it's, it's just very aggravating that there can't be the same set of rules and criteria that is followed in family law that you find in other civil courts uh, issues, that you find in criminal court issues. Uh, I mean, the number of people that I have met uh, in my travels around the country that have been denied due process is just absolutely staggering. And when you're going through this, you know, the only people that are really profiting are the lawyers. So you wind up after a, after so many years of fighting in family court, you wind up having no money. 
And so whoever can outlast the other is traditionally going to be your winner. Mm -hmm. And trying to go pro se, as you learned, is, well, boy, does that have a lot of risk. Uh, and definitely you can get taken advantage of because the average lay person doesn't really know the law. I mean, we don't study it. And if our last experience was our high school government class, uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 years before, then you're in trouble. Right. And it's like you should, if you're going pro se, you, you should study the Constitution and know your amendments. But still, there's these other tricks. These attorneys pull on you. <laughs> anyway, and it's like going, like Dr. Ro Mark Roseman said, when you go into family court, it's like going into the Roman Colosseum. And yes. Be, yes, be prepared to be emotionally abused. <laughs> there it is. And, and uh, being made a fool of, which is sad. But I mean, I, I've seen attorneys make, make fools of each other, too. Yes. And that's so, yes, uh, Dr. Mark is absolutely spot on. And so then you wind up losing because you don't have the financial resources. Um, I, I have a good friend of mine that I used to work with that um, he was able to get full custody of his daughters and because he was able to prove that the, uh, the ex-wife was alienating, manipulating the children in a very unhealthy way. But because the judge ultimately felt sorry, the mother was allowed to work her way back in and then was able to manipulate the oldest girl who was, I think, 14, 15, was encouraging her to commit suicide and cutting herself. And my friend signed away his parental rights mm -hmm. because he was absolutely convinced that his ex-wife was going to do to her children what my ex-wife did to my son. Mm -hmm. And he was afraid for their lives and he put, well, he put them ahead of him. And even though he misses his daughters greatly, he signed away his parental rights to save their lives because the courts allowed this crazy woman back in mm -hmm. and then disregarded what they were seeing and knowing previously to be true. Mm -hmm. And it's, but I will say I love all the parental alienation groups that are out there on social media wherein people are able to say, hey, my child reached out to me. I was able to reconnect after, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, you know, kids that are, you know, were alienated, but once they turned, you know, 19, 20 years old and moved out and started their own life, they reached out to the alienated parent and now they're developing a relationship and that just warms my heart and goes to what I truly do believe and that is the alienation the kid doesn't really believe it and they do it as a survival mechanism so many not not every time because sometimes yeah the kid will buy into it that the Stockholm syndrome that you mentioned earlier but the 
a lot the number of kids that i think fall into that are a smaller percentage i don't have any factual numbers but i do know from just my following and talking with so many other folks i don't believe that the kids truly honestly agree to it and once they're out on their own without being under the thumb of the alienating parent they reach out a little here a little there and then they say, you know what? I'm sorry. Um, Dr. Mark Roseman also brought up that with this family court issue, it's damaging six generations to come down the pike. And, okay. I, and I can see that. Yeah, I'm, which is going to perpetuate more divorce and more court proceedings in the future for these people. And also that I, I think it was him or I had heard this um, somewhere, but it some, some of these kids, it takes them 40 years to realize what happened to them. It could take 40 years. Yeah. Um, it's, that's where I love... Uh, Ginger Gentile's documentary, Erasing Family, and how it talked about kids coming back. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, not every story was a success story, but I, I would just, yeah, it, it, was, it was very emotionally uplifting, sad, but yet encouraging and hopeful. And, again... Kids want to love both parents equally and fairly. Mm -hmm. And it's, I've been interviewed by our school newspaper, because I teach high school, and the school newspaper interviewed me and put it up on their school website. And a lot, I guess a decent number of students have read it because I get approached by my students asking me about parental alienation and they talk about, you know, the issues they're going through with their parents, you know. And I had a, one girl um, earlier in the school year, and she said, you know, I just can't wait to graduate and get away from my parent. They're, they're making life just really hard because I want to go see my other parent, and they really make it extremely impossible to do so. And I just want to get out and get away from all of the anger and all the, the hostility. Uh, I had another student just a couple of weeks ago and come up and ask me, they say, hey, Mr. McCall, is what I'm going through parental alienation? It kind of sounds like it, but can you help me out? And so, it, you know, these kids, they're in great pain. And, you know, you talk about uh, depression and anxiety being the common cold. Well, why are we feeding the common cold? Shouldn't we try and cure the common cold? I mean, these kids are, again, I see it in a, in a normal, healthy relationship and a family dynamic, you know, where kids have access to both parents and, you know, they're, you know, everything is good. They have a great, you know, uh, leave it to beaver family kind of life. Yeah, right. And yet even these kids are having hard time with depression, anxiety. I, I had a former student uh, just well, right about a year ago, just before COVID kicked off 
uh, in early March, uh, I went to his funeral because he committed suicide. Mm. And I mean, this is a kid that had a loving mom and dad and, and, and siblings and a, and a good job. So you throw in the, the, the horribleness of a divorce and all the, the crap that goes with it and the perpetuation of mom hating dad or dad hating mom. And the kid caught in the middle. I mean, I, I know that my growing up, my junior high or my middle school and my high school years, they were just crap. Mm -hmm. Because just life stunk. Mm -hmm. Well, you throw in a, a, you know, a kid trying to find themselves with mom and dad yelling and fighting with each other. How can that lead a kid to be successful? I mean, you're putting too many obstacles, and next thing you know, they're drinking, and they're smoking dope, and then they're doing pills. I mean, crying out loud, you can get a, you know, with these synthetic opioids all over the place. They're stealing them out of the cabinets from, you know, mom or dad or from grandparents or whatever. I mean, crying out loud, we, shoot, you can get THC-laced gummy bears out of Colorado through the mail for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. uh, I only know that because, well, like our school had... Uh, <laughs> a problem a few years ago uh, with kids selling THC-laced gummy bears. But why are they popular? Because kids are feeling so much stress and pressure, and they need an outlet, and they feel that this is the only outlet because they're not getting it at home. They're not being able to figure stuff out with two parents. You don't have to be married. You just have to get along. Mm-hmm. Put the kid first. I mean, crying out loud, you loved each other enough to bring the kid into the world. Mm -hmm. So why not love that kid while they're here? Why not give them the best chance to be the best version of what they can be? Mm -hmm. And I think if a third party enters the picture, I think they should be put in their place immediately by that parent saying, this is between me and my ex. Just don't interfere. And, that, and that's kind of what I told my, my second husband. <laughs> and I said, if you have a problem, if, if, the, if my child sasses you back, you know, let me handle it. You know, I will deal with him or her. <laughs> and um, just, you know, like, just stay out of what relationship I had left with the ex that I was trying to co-parent with. <laughs> But that was going down the drain because of the third party, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. um, some people can uh, co-parent really well, but I think when the third party comes in, they should be told just to butt out, stay out of it. There's a, I, I've wondered. I don't have any concrete data to support this, but I believe that it is due to jealousy. I think that if you have an ex-husband and an ex-wife that are co-parenting very well and have a good relationship and then you get you know a boyfriend or a girlfriend that or a you know was remarried i i speculate that there is a great deal of jealousy that the new boyfriend girlfriend the new spouse has against the ex and so get rid of the ex and parental alienation is a very easy way to push that parent out of the picture. Mm -hmm. 
And I, the number of times that I have heard a story similar to yours, um, where again, everything was going, was going great. And then suddenly you're right. That third party comes in and it's, it's, to have the conversation you're talking about, that is complicated and that is tough. And, but boundaries are something that I don't know are well developed or enforced in a divorce by either party. I mean, sometimes they can, you can just come to an unspoken mutual agreement, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes maybe they need to be clearly stated and frequently enforced. Mm -hmm. Again, the kid should come first. I, uh, one of my favorite pictures is the uh, of a kid at a soccer game, and you got the kid in the middle, and you got mom and dad on either side, and then you got step parent on either side of the parents, and they're mm -hmm. all four there for that child that mm -hmm. is what the kid needs right plain and simple because if we want to you know stop our kids from you know turning to drugs and alcohol and pills we want to stop them from committing suicide we got to give them the best opportunity mm -hmm. not the worst i also think Erasing Family, the film Erasing Family, should be shown uh, at schools throughout the whole nation, like around 1 p.m. after lunch. And uh, I don't know if you remember Rachel's Challenge, yep. but they, they show that uh, at school, and then they showed it at the evening so the parents could go. And my child came home and, and said, can you go see this? Because they're telling parents to go to. So my, my husband and I, we went and um, it was very informative and it was very, um, it was, it was, it was sad, but <laughs> you also learn from it. But with a racing family, it could really also teach and inform. And I know there's kids that know other kids that coming from a divorce situation that are going through this. And yeah. they, they all need to be aware of it. And I really hope that film can start getting into the schools. What do you think are the chances of that? I think that now that it is free, um, that is more possible. I tried, well, I went to the, uh, there's an organization called the Parental Alienation Study Group, an international organization that focuses on, um, parental alienation and these are scientific uh these are professionals these are these are doctors in various fields of mental health um and they are well um they're able to do the research that seems to be missing or lacking anyway i saw it at the event i went to uh, a year and a half ago up in Philadelphia, I came back to school and I go, you, we have to show this. Absolutely, positively, we have to show this. And I got more backlash from that because they go, well, we want to watch it, 
before we decide. Can we do it after school? Can we do it in an evening, rent out the auditorium, and just make it optional? You know, show it for all the high school kids. And I was told that, well, we need to see it for free. So I reached out to Ginger, and she goes, well, Ron, I, I really can't do that. She said, but I can do a small showing. And, well, then the school district wanted to control the showing. They, they didn't want to budge an inch to try and make this become a possibility. And I, I am sorry to say that I have not moved forward now that she has released it on YouTube, but part of it is our COVID protocols. We can't have large gatherings. We can't, you know, have it shown in the auditorium and bring parents in because can't do that and have social distancing. But I agree with you. I think it, you know, uh, should be. And I sure hope we can get past this COVID junk so that mm -hmm. we can be able to get people together in a large auditorium and start showing this. Exactly. Again, Ginger's made it easy for us to gain access to it and therefore make it easier to share. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, again, the number of kids that have come to me because of a news article for our online newspaper um, has been very surprising to me. I'm going, wow, I didn't really realize that many kids actually read the online school newspaper. So to see a video, and I think if we were to show it at one school, then we could start getting it into other schools. And then if it's in our district, we could share it with other districts. And pretty soon, it's like that little snowball going downhill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm I mean, with you. I think it would be fantastic because nowhere does it say parental alienation. It just talks about the issues of child custody during a divorce. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we deal with at the school on a regular daily basis, whether it's at the high school that I'm at or the other high schools in the district, the other middle schools in the district, or even the elementary schools. Because we now have a police officer at every one of our campuses, and one of the biggest things they deal with is custody enforcement. <laughs> so it's, it's, again, we need more information out there and disseminated better without, well, again, trying to attack some of the bias that people have. Because you hear the word parental alienation and the number of mental health professionals the number of judges, the number of lawyers that just go, uh-huh, and they get that glazed-over look in their eye going, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. I know we were talking before the podcast, and at your school they teach psychology, and they are teaching about these personality disorders. Why not take Erasing Family and just show it during that class time that's actually yeah. not a bad idea. I can look into that. Um, I absolutely could look into that uh, because I could even, uh, we could maybe, we teach sociology too, and that divorce is part of the curriculum for the sociology. So I think so. I think that's actually a really good idea. Um, I will I'll talk to uh, both the psychology and the um, sociology teachers because I think that's great because again, the idea is to get the movie out there. And if we can get some people to view it, 
I think that more people, and they go, oh, and you bring people, you know, bring an administrator in to watch with you, and then you go, okay, can we expand this, and can we expand it even more, and even more, but the future will be getting uh, us into be able to have a large group gathering of more than a handful. Mm -hmm. And that's why if it was shown in a classroom, you know, you've got, I don't know how many kids go into that classroom and then, you know, every semester it's shown to each, you know, it's just being seen by a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, And if, if these schools can handle showing Rachel's challenge, I think they can definitely handle erasing family. Yeah, uh, what I have learned is, because I've wanted to host a divorce support group for our student body, and I have been thwarted at many many levels simply because parents don't want us, they want us to do everything and yet nothing at the same time, where Mm -hmm. we want you to teach our kid moral values, but only my moral values, not somebody else's moral values. And the idea of, well, let's talk about, you know, help kids focus on their social-emotional health, but only do it from my perspective. Well, that's kind of hard when you've got one perspective and you've got 28 kids in a classroom. And state law here in Texas prohibits a professional counselor from actually working and counseling students in the school because they're minors and they need parents' consent. I'm going, I told them, I said, well, I'm not a professional counselor yet. I got a couple of more years of schooling to go. Um, I said, but you know, I've been doing it for with adults for a decade. I said, why can't you let me do it with our student body? Mm-hmm. But they're worried about, and this is one of the biggest issues with, with public schools is, parent backlash and getting sued. You know, I remember, I don't know if this would help, but I remember getting a form and saying, would you allow your child to attend the Rachel's Challenge in the auditorium? And then they're going to show it to the parents. And I I signed it, sure, you know. I mean, that's what I remember happening. And it was a tremendous success. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, but the sad thing with Rachel, well, the, the positive with Rachel Challenge is that it's usually signed off on at the highest level, and you actually have to pay a fee, and it's, a, it's considered an anti-bully program. Uh, I've taught in a school district where we did use Rachel Challenge. I love it. Mm-hmm. I think it is fantastic. Um, program that our school uses is called the Hope Squad but it's very similar to Rachel's challenge with a lot of the same exact goals. Um, So I I think you're absolutely right. And we very easily could be on to something where we would be able to expand. And again, I'm extremely grateful to uh, Ginger Gentile for making it more accessible on YouTube where you don't have to pay a big fee um, I don't even know what the fee is for you to be able to see it. I know you can rent it, with, but I absolutely would love to be able to um, be able to get it out there and show it to more people. 
Most definitely. And um, another thing that has come out, um, attorney Ashish Joshi wrote a book called Litigating Parental Alienation. And um, that is going to be an invaluable book for attorneys and judges. And it really should be in every law office, <laughs> a library, law library, <laughs> anyone studying. Right. And I'm looking forward to, I know people have been asking him if it's available on Amazon. I haven't seen it on Amazon, so I'm not sure how, but I absolutely would. And then the next time I see him, I'm going to get him to autograph it for me. Because mm -hmm. um, I agree with you. Uh, it's, I'm anxious to read it and mm -hmm. be able to share it because I, I do know a number of judges and lawyers here in the county I live in, North Texas, and they are very receptive to, to me and to my message. A number of them have seen it. Several of them were actually kind of part of my case, and they go, oh my gosh, absolutely, we want to help. Um, in fact, many of the lawyers, if they were here and were operating in uh, Collin County, Texas, when my case went down um, 10 years ago, they are, they are very aware of parental alien, you know, of my situation, my case. All I have to do is mention my name and they go, oh, mm -hmm. that case. I remember. And so they, they're willing to be open. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, here over the next year to two years, again, uh, I had a number of things getting ready to blow up positively, and then COVID hit a year ago, mm -hmm. and it's squashed, and nobody wants to get together uh, to be able to have, you know, conversations and, and be able to have not so much a, I don't know what you'd call it, but a sit down where mm -hmm. we could talk and brainstorm and hash out and various ideas and begin to plan uh, bigger events. Um, but I, again, I feel very blessed to live in a county that is open to learning more about what parental alienation is. And I think if we can, again, the snowball scenario, we get going here and start showing some positives, then we can absolutely move. Because at the end of the day, I got to imagine that every county docket is sick and tired of these repeat offenders that mm -hmm. why are you here for the last eight years i have seen you two parents in here arguing can't you just pull your head out of your tail end and get it together i mean they got to be tired of this yeah, so i agree i i don't i i think that at least around here there is some open-mindedness to try and find ways to help combat it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to get some of uh, the ideas and projects that uh, me and a few others are working on. Uh, they're still in the extreme infant stage. They're, they're not ready for uh, going main, you know, going prime time yet, so mm -hmm. still in the works, but I'm just excited because I think that if some of this stuff can, you know, all you got to do is get a start. Right. Get somebody to buy what you're selling. 
because we're not selling stupid stuff. We're not selling something that is irrational, illogical, or untrue. Mm-hmm. We're selling the truth. We're sharing something that is real. You just, you just got to be willing to open your eyes and see. Definitely. And I know before our podcast started, we were talking about some people are calling parental alienation junk science. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, that's fine. They can believe that. Um, I would disagree with them. I mean, okay, parental alienation, when, they came, when Richard Gardner talked about it back in the, uh, the mid-80s, when he called it parental alienation syndrome, all right? You want to argue that it's syndrome or not a syndrome? That's fine. Uh, Dr. Childress calls it attachment-based parental alienation, and he goes through some very um, concrete scientific steps that show that you don't need to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is already there. Use existing um, mental health practices and it's there. The pathology is easy to follow using Mnuchin and Bowlby and some of the others that are on attachment theory and use existing science and existing mental health practices. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, but there are still plenty of others. Uh, again, uh, Jennifer Harmon, um, she's out of, uh, I think, Boulder or Colorado State University. Mm-hmm but they have the Colorado Parental Alienation Project that they're engaged in, the Parental Alienation Study Group that Ashish Joshi is part of, along with um, some other very well-recognized individuals like Amy Baker. They're doing massive amounts of research. It just takes time. And, you know, it's kind of like anything. You can disagree if you put your head in the sand and, you know, uh, that that's you know again you want to believe that okay i'm going to disagree with you because i think there is a fair amount of science that's out there and you just <laughs> it just goes against what you believe and sadly i mean right out loud they went after aristotle because aristotle said that um the the Earth was not the center of the universe, that the sun was, and that the earth revolved around the sun. Well, shoot, they went after him, the church went after him, and excommunicated him, and it's kind of like, oh, guess what? Um, I mean, I I take that back. It wasn't Aristotle. It was Galileo. Please forgive me. Uh, Galileo. Um, I mean, it's just one of those things that... It's something that challenges the established norm. And so when you're challenging the established norm until it becomes mainstream and people are willing to accept what you're saying is true, then they're going to fight you on it. And the more, you know, because the idea, there are so many issues and so much money tied up in divorce. For states, you've got the money that they get for child support with Title IV-D and Title IV-E mm-hmm. of the um, 
Social Security Act, uh, was it 74, 76, 77, something like that, something in the 70s where they redid it, where mm -hmm. states get, uh, for every dollar they collect, they get a matching dollar uh, from the federal government. Okay, well, they're, they're being financially incentivized to collect child support. So anything that would challenge the collection of child support, like, hmm, I don't know, 50-50 custody? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a financial investment for the state to be against that. When the legal field, uh, here in Texas, I heard a number here a few years ago that uh, it's a $4 billion industry, family law is. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, the family, Texas Family Law Association wants to keep that cash cow rolling. They don't want to do anything that sees changes to family law that could interrupt the flow of money. Mm -hmm. And parental alienation generates a lot of money because parental alienation generates conflict and frequent trips back to court. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. So again, you want to call it junk science? Okay, I can't stop you, but I'm going to absolutely disagree with you and provide you with lots of research that is out there, lots of I mean, news stories that, you know, just in the last few years that have been published. Um, I mean, Psychology Today, uh, Dr. Edward Kruk, he does, he, he puts out lots of great stuff. Uh, Amy Baker puts a lot of stuff out there on uh, Psychology Today. Um, I mean, I, I've got, uh, oh, I ran across an article from just a couple of years ago where um, CBS um, out of uh, Los Angeles uh, was talking about the issues um, dealing with parental alienation and childhood trauma. Um, I mean, again, uh, oh, let's see, a couple of years ago, another one from uh, Yahoo News. Again, please, maybe you're going to be, people get upset with my news sources, but uh, again, they're, they're going after, they're talking about, you know, again, experts say psychological impact of family separation on par with abuse. Yes! Uh, I mean, um, there's another organization uh, called the National Association of Parental Alienation Specialists, where they're again talking about the damage uh, that is done. The idea that a parent or a child just quickly, randomly, without ra rational reasoning, hating their parent, that's just, you know, again, um, it, that's just not normal. I mean, estrangement, that occurs. And that happens over years. And, and, you know, I've talked to some of my students where they're saying, well, is this parental alienation? And I'm going, well, let's hear your story. And some of it, you know, sometimes I said, well, okay. It sounds to me like your mother or your father, well, they, you know, again, depends on the kid as to which parent. But when the kid feels that the parent doesn't want them around, when, you know, the they're saying, okay, well, I've made arrangements to, to meet with mom or to meet with dad, and then they're a no-show, or they cancel, or, you know, they're, for whatever reason, they're just, you know, absent and don't want to be part of the kid's life. That's estrangement. That's not alienation. But it's, it's just, no, I, I think that the people that believe that it's junk science are kind of like my retired judge friend 
when he said that parental alienation is just another divorce dodge. It's a quick and easy way to focus on the naysayers. I mean, again, are there people that are going to make false claims? Are they going to say that it's parental alienation when it's not? Are they going to try and manipulate the system to their advantage? Absolutely. But if you're going to focus on the 2% exception and not the 98% who are real, well, I can't help you there. Mm -hmm. That's my humble opinion. Do you have anything you'd like to add before we part? I don't want to suck up your whole evening. (laughs) 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 You're probably tired from school and didn't even get to eat dinner, so... No, no, I, I made sure I uh, pit stopped on the way home and uh, inhaled a fast dinner before we began. But no, I, I, the parental alienation is very widespread. It's been around for a very long time. There was even a Supreme Court case that goes back to the 1940s that deals with parental alienation. In fact, uh, what did they, let's see, let me pull that up. Uh, they called it child stealing in this court case titled, uh, what was it, uh, Lynch versus Lynch. Again, in 1949, it goes, uh, it's a California, it started in California, but I mean, it's been around. So it's not just Richard Gardner in the 1980s. It's not something new. It's something old. It is changing as more and more parents are doing it. Well, it's drawing more and more attention, and it's making it to the news. Um, it, there's a lot more research. There's a lot more um, symposiums. The, the, we had a symposium down here in Dallas a few years ago that was fantastic. We had people from around the world come. The Parental Alienation Study Group is an international organization. You've got a lot of local or more, you know, smaller uh organizations that are working on this, support groups around the country, podcasts like yours that draw attention to it. All you need is a really bright light because parental alienators, they're like a cockroach. Mm -hmm. They thrive in the dark, and when light is exposed, they scurry. And we need to be a bright light and shine it in every corner we can find so that that way at some point we can have podcasts about food or vacation spots and not about parental alienation. Mm-hmm. We have to enlighten and teach and get people going on this so they can understand that this maybe could be happening to them and they don't know it yet. So. That's why I'm running these podcasts to teach and get everyone educated. And I was going to ask you, like, is your your book, For the Love of Eric, where can that be found? Amazon.com. That's the easiest place. Um, I mean, everybody's got it, uh, you know, at Amazon Prime. So I think it's $16.99. So if you've got Amazon Prime, that's free shipping. But Amazon, and okay. if they like it and they want to uh, write a, a, a positive comment, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. I guess you could, I don't know, I guess if you want to write a negative comment, you can too. But um, 
I haven't had too many people complain about it. So, but yeah, they can leave a comment if they like it or not like it. Mm -hmm. if, if a parent wants to um, contact you with any questions, how would you like to be reached? The easiest way to reach me is at my website. Well, I got a website. It's fortheloveoferic.com. Uh, they can go there. I've got a variety of resources, but uh, also it has a way to contact me, and I have a Gmail account, and it is fortheloveoferic at gmail.com. And Eric is E-R-Y-K. So it's basically the title of the book, .com for the website, or at gmail.com for an email. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, I will let you go and enjoy your evening. <laughs> well, thanks. I, Marianne, thank you so much for letting me be on. This was Definitely. really exciting. And yeah, we'll probably do it again. I'll have you on in a couple, couple of few months here. <laughs> That's I'll come fine. That's fine. I'd love to come back. Hopefully I can have some new information. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> I, me too. Me too as well. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again with Rod and other guests, and have a good evening. <laughs>